Well, I've titled this sermon today, Where Should We Eat? If you were uh, traveling maybe longer distances this summer, that might have been a question that uh, popped up here and there at some point. I know it came up in our vehicle a couple of times when we were driving and we were looking for a quick place to, um, to eat. And the question was, where should we eat? Where should we go? For some of you, you'd like to get together for lunch for people on Sunday afternoons and after church. Some of you are creatures of habit. You end up going to the same place all the time. I know when I grew up, everybody went to Swiss Chalet. Um, we don't have that here in Wetaskiwin, but you might have a place that you like to go. But others like to change it up a bit. And so that question might be part of your conversation after church today. Where should we eat? Well, as we finish this introductory section of Proverbs, which uh, consists of chapters 1 to 9, that same question shows up here in chapter 9 as a choice. You say, really? Why would the Bible talk about something like that? Why would it even care? Well, let's take a look. As we read Proverbs 9, you'll notice that there are uh, two invitations, actually. The invitations come to people and say, come and eat at our place. Come eat at my place. Only it's not to restaurants it's calling people to, it's to houses. Two ladies, actually, are inviting people to come to their house in a metaphorical kind of way. So open up your Bibles right to the middle, and you'll be close to Proverbs. Just uh, search around forwards or backwards a little bit, and you'll get to the book of Proverbs. And I encourage you to look with me this morning at chapter 9. We'll look at the entire chapter this morning, and just follow along as I read, as we hear from God. I will say sometimes this is the only perfect part of the sermon where God speaks to us. The rest of it God hopefully uses by his grace, but this part that I'll read now comes directly from him. Proverbs 9, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Here's the call. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live, and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Now reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, he'll be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you're wise, you're wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. That's far the reading of God's word. Father, we pray that you would take these words now, and as we seek to understand them more, we pray by your Spirit that you would press these words into our hearts, and that they would indeed transform and change our lives. 
For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So there you have it. There are two invitations to two houses. One from someone named Lady Wisdom and another one from Lady Folly down in verses 13 to 18. They actually, you'll notice, might have noticed as we read them, use the exact same words in verse 4 and verse 16. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Before we start unpacking these two invitations, let's just take a step back and think about the way the Bible portrays our lives. We've seen that in the early chapters of Proverbs, and actually in the whole Bible, that there are always presented to us two choices, and only two choices. There are two ways, sometimes there are two roads, two paths, sometimes it describes two kinds of people, or even uh, two different kinds of eternity. Well, here in Proverbs 9, it's no different, and it actually puts all these into different Uh, all these different opposite twos together here at the end of this section from Proverbs 1 to 9. Like I said before, this section gives us not only two choices, but it also gives us two different kinds of invitations from two different people, two women. Uh, And these are two different feasts with two opposing uh, uh, futures, two different futures. Proverbs 9 is... Very symmetrical. It is very evenly divided. There are 18 verses, and they're sectioned off into three groups of six. Verse 1 to 6 has, invitation, has the invitation from Lady Wisdom. Verses 13 to 18 have the invitation from Lady Folly. And that middle section is kind of a different section. At first glance, it looks maybe like it doesn't fit, but it actually fits in real nice. It describes two different kinds of invited guests that give us than a clue on how they're going to respond to the invitation. And that middle section contains one of the themes of the whole of Proverbs, namely that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Those words actually um, are the end pieces of this whole section from chapter 1 to 9 because they show up in chapter 1 and they show up here at the end again. That concept, the fear of God, sort of holds this whole section on wisdom together. And we'll get to that in a few minutes. When you take it all together, chapter 9 puts a real nice bow on this section, which has been framed as a father giving one last bit of advice to his son before the son goes out on his own. That's the way it's framed. But when you extend the picture, this is God the Father telling all of his children how we ought to navigate our way in this world, a world that's filled with landmines, a world that's filled with temptations, a world that's filled with allurements and enticements. How do we live in the fear of God in such a world? How do we have wisdom in that kind of world? And here in chapter 9, it does that by presenting the two choices before us. And it's really just a dual invitation to come and eat. There are two ladies from two houses, both calling out to go either in one direction or the other. And so we could say that God is beckoning each of us to choose rightly. And to choose wisely, to listen to his voice, and to then ignore the louder and the more deafening call of the world. So the challenge before us, admittedly not an easy challenge, is where do you want to eat? Will you accept the invitation from Lady Wisdom, or will you accept the invitation from Lady Folly? Well, we see here, First of all, the invitation 
first invitation to come to Lady Wisdom's house. We see that wisdom and foolishness have been cast into characters, specifically into two women. Now, this isn't new. It's happened right through these first eight chapters, mostly with Lady Wisdom, starting way back in chapter 1, verse 20, where it says, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. See how it personifies wisdom? Or in chapter 3, verse 14, talking about wisdom, it says she is more, we sing this in a chorus sometimes, she is more precious than silver, she's more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. But here in chapter 9, folly is a woman as well. Up to now, the other woman has been cast mostly as a prostitute or as an adulteress in chapters 5 and 6 and 7. But here she's called Lady Folly. Not Molly, not Holly, Lady Folly. King Solomon wrote most of the Proverbs, and here in chapter 9 he masterfully gives these uh, opposing character qualities, wisdom and foolishness, he gives them faces. They're hostesses that have each prepared a feast. And they're actually the owners of their houses. And they're both about to, to send out an open house invitation. Everyone in the town will be invited to come. But people will be asked to choose which house they will go to. And so we're introduced to the first lady there in verses 1 and 2. First, it describes her house. Notice that she has built it. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn seven pillars. She's cut these seven pillars. She's made it. She's created it. It belongs to her. And seven pillars, meaning it's a a stable house and a spacious house. There has has to be pretty spacious for there to be seven pillars. Remember um, Samson, when he knocked down the temple, how many pillars were there? There was just two. And the whole house came crumbling down. But here it says there's seven pillars. It tells you it's a, it's a big house. And, and pillars is a sign of stability. But the number seven might also be figurative. In the Bible, it's a number of completion. It's usually a number of perfection. And back in the last chapter that Pastor Andrew led us through last week, Solomon talks about wisdom as being present during creation. Wisdom was a presence there. And the seventh day was when God rested. The seventh day. Days of creation were completed, and everything he made was very good. So, you kind of put the concept of seven pillars in here, and it's telling you that that this is wisdom's house. This first house is wisdom's house. This is wisdom's universe. It's a good house, created by wisdom, created by God. Look, then, at the effort that she's put into it in preparing this feast there in verse 2. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also, or a better translation might be, she has even set the table, set her table. She's done all the work herself. And it's a lavish feast. Lots of meat. Mixed wine. Meaning that it's It's tasty. She's, she's added, probably in that culture, she's added some honey. She's added some spices to make it taste even better. By the way, if you peek down at verse 13, there's no description of Lady Folly's house. It, it doesn't describe any such thing. It just describes what she's like. And this tells us that wisdom always has substance. 
Folly is usually filled with promises, but they're empty promises. There's nothing there that's worth noting. Wisdom's house, on the other hand, is filled with good things, sumptuous things for all that choose to go there. So everything's prepared. The feast is ready. Now it's time to send out the call for people to come and eat, to come and drink. But look at what she does. Lady Wisdom, verse 3, has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. She's prepared the feast. She's done all the work, but then she sends out her people, her envoys, her messengers, to go and summon the people. Let's shift the focus for a minute away from the parable here to where this is pointing. Isn't this how God prepares for his children? God is preparing a feast for all those who come to him. When I read this, I couldn't help but think of Psalm 23. The Lord our shepherd says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The same sort of picture that God is preparing a lavish feast. He's preparing a feast for his people. Revelation talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's a sumptuous feast awaiting those who come to God through Christ. But who does God send to summon his people to the feast now? Well, in the Old Testament, he sends people like Abraham and Moses and David and all the prophets. Here in Proverbs, he sends, in chapters 1 to 8, he sends mom and dad to teach wisdom, to commend wisdom. In the New Testament, he sends apostles. And most ultimately, of course, he sends himself in the person of his son. But even today, the envoys and messengers of wisdom are people like preachers and teachers, Sunday school teachers, Bible study leaders, and parents, godly parents. He, he sends you to talk to your friends, to talk to your neighbors, to be that envoy to your co- co-workers, people where you work. If you're a Christian, God wants you to call people where the feast is prepared. Will you be faithful to do it? She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. I love that image. How how can you call people where the most people can hear your message? Where is the place of maximum broadcast? Maybe it's through a visit. Maybe it's through a phone call. Today, the highest places in town might be the internet or social media. Those kinds of places, well, we all know they're fraught with danger. There's all sorts of landmines there too. But they can also be used for good. Maybe you need to share God's invitation of the gospel from Facebook or from Twitter or from Snapchat or whatever other hundreds of different social apps there are these days. Whatever platform you have, to call people to God through Jesus Christ. Use those for good. What does Lady Wisdom tell her messengers to say? Look again at verses 4 to 6. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come and eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. 
and walk in the way of insight. Just look at the nature of the invited guests here. It's, it's whoever is simple and who lacks sense. Who is that? Well, this is everyone who understands that they need help. I love that word, whoever. It's calling everyone. It's, this is everyone who understands that they need help. It's, it's people who need wisdom. This is inclusive. It's not an exclusive list. And this is just God's way. This is the way he works. 1 Corinthians 1. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification and our redemption. Going back to Proverbs 9 now, as Dan Phillips points out, he says, this is all good news. I'm in this category of simple. You are the simple. We all need this invitation. We need to come and to eat of this bread and to drink of this wine. But notice that it's going to mean we have to go in a different direction. It's going to mean that we have to change our course. It says, turn. Turn in here. And in verse 6, leave your simple ways. Forsake them. Abandon them. We have to actually alter the direction that we are naturally heading in. We need to turn. We need to abandon. We need to forsake our natural inclinations. We need to get onto a different path. And we'll really never do that unless we're called and, to, and summoned to do that. But alas, here is that invitation. Here is that call. It's essentially a call to repentance and faith. Turn in here. Don't keep on going your way. Turn and come this way. So the summons to turn. This is what it'll take for someone to come to God. It is a kind invitation from God to turn from your own ways and to feast at a table prepared by God. Romans chapter 2 talks about that kind of kindness. It says God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And you see that kindness here in Proverbs 9, verse 5. Come, eat of my bread. Drink of the water, or of the wine that I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. And walk in the way of insight. Wisdom's call is a gospel invitation. If you are willing to leave the natural uh, trajectory of your godless walk and to follow in his ways, the promise is, is that you will have life. Leave your simple ways and live. When Jesus comes to the earth right at the beginning of his ministry, he simply says, follow me. That's exactly what happened with his very first followers. When he sees Simon and Andrew, he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And it says, immediately they left their nets, they left their livelihood, and they followed him. Same thing with James and John. Mark 1 verse 20, Jesus called them and they left their father they left their father Zebedee in the boat and followed him. They not only left their livelihood, but they left their family. They left their simple ways and they gained life. You might be here today and are not a follower of Jesus. Well, Lady Wisdom might be calling you 
today, right here, as you hear these words. God might be inviting you today. Will you come and eat at his table? He says, come and eat. Leave your simple ways and live. Well, it takes a certain kind of person to accept that invitation. And the middle section here describes the character of those two kinds of guests. They have names. There's the scoffer, also called the wicked man. And there's the wise man, also called the righteous man. Listen to verses 7 and 8 again. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. On the other hand, slide that in there, reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he'll be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. So the first three lines there describe the scoffer. The next three lines describe the wise man. Well, what does it say about the kind of person they are? Well, in one word, the scoffer is unteachable. He is beyond correction. Do you notice that? This person is a know-it-all. And he doesn't want anyone to come along and to tell him to change his course. His course is already set. No one's going to give him a course correction. In fact, it's downright dangerous to try and correct him. If he try, he might do you harm. It says here, he'll, he'll abuse you. He might injure you. He'll hate you. This man is wise in his own eyes only. He's self-sufficient. He thinks he already knows everything he needs to know. He is uncorrectable and unteachable. It's really the embodiment of pride, isn't it? Do you know people like this? Are there people that you are scared to correct for fear of how they'll respond? If those people are non-believers, it might be very hard, very difficult for them to accept the kind of invitation that's being offered here. They won't want to leave their simple ways. They're too proud to even listen. Never mind to come in and eat. They need to be broken of their pride and their scorn. And if you know someone like that, that's exactly how you need to pray. That God would somehow break into their prideful heart before it's too late. In some ways, only God can reach a person like that. Now, he might be pleased to use you to... Um, to break that person, to bring conviction through his spirit. But only God can reach a person like that. Only God can reach anyone for that matter. But most of all, please don't be this kind of person. Don't be that guy. Don't be that woman. Always be willing to accept correction and reproof. Be willing to, to have someone come along and to gently get you back on the right path. That's actually the wise man. Isn't it? If you send the invitation out to a person like this, he will listen. She will listen. And they'll be thankful that you took the time to invite them. This person is teachable. Give instruction to a wise man, and he'll be wiser still. This kind of person willingly accepts reproof, willingly accepts instruction or correction. He knows it'll make him a better person. That kind of person knows he needs to change and he actually welcomes someone telling him to move into a different direction. He's not content to stay where he's at. 
He wants to increase in learning. He knows he hasn't arrived yet. Not even close. If the scoffer was filled with pride, this kind of person is filled with humility. It's teachable. This is the kind of person we should all seek to be. We need to be willing to accept correction. We need to be open to reproof and course correction. We need to be willing to be transformed, to be changed, to be molded by God's word, even though it might hurt. Think about this in terms of the company you keep. Maybe even the church that you attend. Are you willing to be taught by people that that might convict you from time to time? Or are you gone? Are you out of there at the first suggestion that you might need to change? You're happy as long as the message is kind of general, it doesn't point right at you. But as soon as it points right at you, I'm out of here. Do you surround yourself with people that tell you what you need to hear? Or do you only look for people that tell you what you want to hear? Well, verse 10, then, is the center and the climax of chapter 9, and it comes back to that theme of, of, of the whole nine, of Proverbs 1 to 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now, we've been hinting at this already, but here you see that wisdom is connected with godliness. The difference between the scoffer and the wise man is the fear of the Lord. The scoffer will mock God. In fact, he just wants to be the God of his own life. He doesn't need God. While the wise man wants to acquire any skills, that's what wisdom is. Remember, the choir, uh, wisdom is the acquiring the skills to live a godly life. The wise man wants to acquire any skills that might be needed to increase in godliness. Well, there's a payoff for both kinds of people. See that in there? For the scoffer, a passage like Galatians 6, verse 7 would apply. God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You mock God and you'll be in trouble. End of verse 12, if you scoff, you alone will bear it. But for the wise man, the humble man, the teachable man, the payoff is there in verses 11 and the beginning of verse 12. For by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. The wise man will also reap what he sows, but it's all good. It's all good for a long time, forever. Well, in verses 13 to 18, we see the invitation to the other house. We've already noted that there are similarities to this call with the call of Lady Wisdom, but notice some of the differences here. Uh, Right at the outset, just notice the descriptions. Lady Wisdom was busy working and preparing, but all it says here about woman folly is that she is loud. She's seductive, and then it adds, but she know, and she knows nothing. And contrary to being busy and working and preparing, verse 2 says that she just, Lady Folly just sits at the door of her house. She is marked by her inactivity. But just go back to the First two descriptions of her, loud and seductive. This really actually shows very clearly the allure of this call to folly. Now we might be tempted here to smugly sit back and say, I know which house I choose. This isn't a hard choice. I choose Lady Wisdom. 
And all the sumptuous meat and wine, that sounds great to me. Why wouldn't I choose that? But listen, the volume and the enticement of the other call is exactly what makes this other way of life tempting. The call to folly is a loud call. It is screaming and yelling. You can't not hear it. This competing call will be louder than the other one. It'll be right in your ear with its volume, and it's going to be right in your face in its seductiveness. You have the loud voice of the world over against the still small voice of God and his word and his wisdom. Like wisdom, she too is up on the highest places in the town. Did you notice that? Only she's sitting there, all confident and smug, even though it's all a cover. It's all a cover. She knows nothing. There is nothing behind door number one or door number two or door number three. It's all a hidden veneer. It's filled with enticing promises that turn out to be empty. There's not even a feast on the other side of the door. In contrast to Lady Wisdom's house, where she's acquired and prepared everything, here it's all stolen and hidden. Stolen water is sweet, she says. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. False, empty promises. Look what's on the other side. Verse 18. He doesn't know that the dead are there. That's what's behind the door. That her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Depths of the grave. They're there. Remember, they're alive there, actually. They're not dead there. They are alive there. They are there. What's made out to be, and what even looks to be so promising, turns out to be a dead end. Literally. The dead are there. Yet she calls. She's calling to, verse 15, all those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. It's the exact same call. Turn in here. This is a call to join in folly. To choose the way of the world, uh, uh, choose the way of a world that does not fear God. Very enticing. Very tempting. But empty. Non-lasting. Not eternal. Eternal, yes. But eternal torment. Well, this is a choice that is calling for a decision as we. Uh, Close the book on our study in attaining wisdom. There are two competing invitations, and they're laid open in front of us. And you will choose one of them. Uh, One house might not be the popular way or give the most instant pleasure, but it is the way of eternal life in an eternal house with an eternal feast. The other call is loud and promises instant pleasure but it ends in the depths of Sheol where the guests are all gathered there and are full of regret for taking, as Jesus puts it, the wide road that leads to destruction rather than the narrow road that leads to life. How will you choose? I want to close with the words from Charles Bridges as he wrote way back in the 1800s and he writes this. I'll need my glasses for this because it's small print in the 1800s. It says, Reader, it's talking to us, the wisdom of God 
and the great deceiver of man stand before you. The wisdom of God and the great deceiver of man stand before you. Both are wooing your heart. The one for life, the other for death. Both are intensely anxious for success. Wisdom crieth. The woman of folly is boisterous. Both take their position in the high places of the city. Both spread out their feast for the naive and ignorant, smiling and happy on the brink of ruin. But how opposite their end. The one makes the naive wise unto eternal life. The other bears away her willing captive into unutterable misery. Which voice arrests your ear and allures your heart? Which feast excites your appetite? Whose guest are you? Will you not open your eyes to the infatuation and pollution of this house of horror and death? Oh, remember that every listening to the enticement rivets your chain, rejoices your strong enemy, cheats you out of your present, no less than your eternal happiness, and will banish you forever from the paradise reopened as your home. You may sink into the grave and perish, but it will be with the Savior's voice crying in your ears. How long, O simple ones, will you love simplicity? The voice of mercy now warns you against estranging yourself from God. But mercy is limited to time. Then justice, without mercy, will hold the scales with relentless severity, and the sentence of condemnation will bind you in the lost and damned kingdom of eternal death. What then is our heart's desire and prayer? but that the free grace and love of the gospel may draw and fix your heart and that the Lord may preserve you from the tempter's snare by keeping you closely walking with himself. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we pray that you would help us to listen carefully and to think carefully about the direction that we want to take. Help us to be the kinds of people that can resist the tempter's snare and that can, through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is calling us away from that kind of life, through the kindness of repentance, that we would follow Jesus Help us to go in the way of the righteous. And Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength to do that, the strength to resist, and then the strength to follow the call that you have laid upon our lives. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.